there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! All right, so what I'm going to do to start this sermon out, I'm going to start out with a joke. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, like all my jokes, it's a bad joke. It's, uh, but this joke actually has a purpose. I want to tell you this joke to illustrate a, a point that I want to make. And it's a joke about heaven. To me, it's the best joke there is on the subject of heaven. And it starts like all jokes about heaven, all right? Here's how it starts. Three men go to heaven, and they all arrive at the same time with their wives. And the first man steps up to St. Peter at the pearly gates, and he asks to be let in. And St. Peter replies, well, you know, you were a good man, and you helped others a lot. But man, you loved food too much. You loved food over God. In fact, you loved food so much that you even found a wife named Candy. And so he pulls a lever and the guy goes shooting down uh, into hell. Well, the second man steps up to St. Peter and he asks to be let into heaven. And and then St. Peter replies to him, "Uh, you were a good man and you went to church, but you loved money. I mean, you loved money so much, you loved money more than you loved God. In fact, you loved money so much, you married a wife named Penny. And so I can't let you in. And he pulls the lever and off the guy goes into hell, which prompts the third man to have panic on his face. And he turns to his wife in this panic and he says, Fanny, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> Fanny. Okay. I told you it wasn't funny. I tell you that joke to illustrate a point. Do you ever notice that all jokes that relate to heaven, kind of, this, it's the same story. A person dies and immediately they're standing in the pearly gates, right, waiting to see if their name's in the way, waiting to see if they're going to get in. Uh, and so they're immediately, they die, boom, they're either in heaven or they don't get let in, and they're in, in hell. I, I think all of us in our, in our thinking kind of have that in our minds, that when a person dies, when you die physically, when you close your eyes here on earth, you're going to either open them in heaven or in hell. So what I'm going to submit to you this morning is I'm not sure that's exactly the case. And so let me give you um, another disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but a bit, a bit of information. If you weren't here last week, it would be super helpful for you to listen to last week's message. Uh, we don't, I'm not trying to sell these messages. I'm never going to write a book or, or anything like that. Uh, I, I just, I think you, you would really benefit because some of the things that we're talking about today, um, we also talked about last week. And so if you were here last week, we talked about a story in the Bible called The Rich Man and Lazarus that, that Jesus tells. 
Uh, and he tells this story of, of this rich man who dressed in fine clothing, who ate uh, sumptuously every day, who had plenty of money, who was probably somewhat of a religious man. But Jesus pinpoints the fact that on the outside he looked great, but his heart wasn't right with God. And then the other character in the story that Jesus talks about is a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus. He's begging for food. He's covered with sores. He's hanging out with the, with the stray dogs. And um, he, Lazarus would be a guy that we would probably all look at and say, you know, that guy might be kind of a loser. Um, so on the outside, Lazarus ap uh, appeared to, to not have any status at all, but his heart was right with God. And so Jesus, this whole story of Lazarus and the rich man is about what's going on uh, in our hearts. Well, in the story... Uh, the rich man and Lazarus die. And so I want to drop us into a little snippet that we looked at last week. Luke 16, if you have your Bibles, and we'll read verses 19 through 23, says this. Remember, this is Jesus talking. He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. <clears throat> now, we talked about this, we just scratched the surface last week, but, but many scholars believe, uh, and I would include myself in that, not that I'm a scholar, but that I believe this, that what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about Hades and he talks about Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom is he's referring to what the Bible calls the waiting place of the dead. In other words, when I die on earth, when I close my eyes on earth, where do I go? Where am I? Uh, and the Bible seems to indicate that there is this, uh, this realm of the dead, this waiting place of the dead. And so if, uh, if you would imagine just a big circle, um, you would have Hades here, which is a, a place for unregenerated, unsaved Hearts, people that denied Jesus, didn't accept him as their savior, they're in this place called Hades. There's a chasm, a great chasm between, and then on the other side, there's this place called Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, uh, and this would be where our loved ones are right now. These are people who die, who have regenerated, they've been born again, hearts, and they will eventually be in heaven. Okay, so the Bible repeatedly refers to, to this place as the realm of the dead, okay? So let me just show you a couple verses so you don't think I'm making this stuff up. Um, I'll show you one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Uh, we'll, first, we'll go to Psalm 49. And the writer of Psalm 49, uh, towards the middle of the chapter, is writing about his death and writing about going to the grave and on all, this, all of these things. And it's kind of a depressing uh, chapter of the Bible, but then he remembers God's promises. And I want you to see this, Psalm 49, 15. Here's what he says. But God will redeem me from the realm 
of the dead, he will surely take me to himself. Okay, so there's one of the, that, that phrase, the realm of the dead. Now, let's go to the New Testament real quick. And we'll go in Acts chapter 2. Now, we're a Christian church, and so when we go to Acts chapter 2, we automatically think we're going to verse 38. Uh, we are not. Uh, I, want, I want you to see verses 31 and 32, where Peter's preaching about Jesus, specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. All right? So let, let's see what he says. Seeing what was to come, he, Peter, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned in the realm of the dead. Remember what happened when Jesus died? He, he descended into Hades uh, for, for, for those three days into the realm of the dead. This is what that's talking about. All right, so he wasn't just left there. God's like, no, I'm not, you're stuck. I'm not, I'm not going to get you out. So he goes to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to it. Okay, so there, all of this is this realm of the dead concept. And there's all kinds of big words that, uh, that people use to describe this word. You'll hear the word Sheol, which is a Hebrew word. You'll hear the word Hades, which is a Greek word. You'll hear the word Gehenna, which is a Greek word that comes from a Hebrew word that's been translated into an English word. But it all carries the same concept that Jesus is talking about in Luke 16, the realm of the dead, this waiting place for the dead. And so last week, when we looked at this story, we mentioned, we mentioned those two places in passing, uh, the two places that Jesus mentions, uh, the rich man in Hades and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And so I want to just take a few minutes and talk about each of those two places. So there's like bad news and good news. So we'll do the bad news first. All right, let's talk about uh, what Jesus meant when he talked about the rich man descending into Hades. If you remember last week, Jesus describes Hades much like you would picture hell. He describes it as kind of a place of torment. Look at verses 22 and 23 of Luke 16. So the poor man died and was carried uh, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So these are the words of Jesus. And no one taught on the subject of, of hell more, more than Jesus. He almost exclusively taught on it. Uh, Paul mentions it a few times, but really Jesus is the one that teaches the most about it. Um, but he is not talking about hell here. He uses the word Hades. Um, it is this place, this intermediate place of the dead uh, for unregenerated hearts. It's not hell, but it's Hades. Now, kind of what's sobering about this, and we'll talk about it in a minute, it carries some of the same characteristics of, of hell. Uh, but when you begin to look at, at just Hades itself, um, it's kind of a scary, depressing place. It kind of makes me wish the doctrine of annihilation was true. That if you didn't know Jesus, you were just wiped off the face of the earth. Your soul was destroyed. Uh, but our souls are, are eternal, so God can't do that. So there's this place. And in the story, if you remember, uh, the rich man in Hades has a conscious awareness of where he is. He understands probably where and why he's there. 
All right, and so he, he knows what's going on. He can, not only does he have an awareness, he can feel the suffering. He, can, he, he is suffering so badly, he just wants a drop of water to, to relieve his thirst. And so he feels the suffering. He also knew about life on this side, his physical life, because in the story, he asks Abraham to, to bring Lazarus from the dead to go preach to his brothers because he doesn't want his brothers in, the, in this same place. So it's a bad, bad place. Um, so let me pause and reinforce a point that's kind of gone throughout this entire series. And, and the point is simply this. Um, there has to be a choice whether or not we're going to love Jesus and follow God on this side of life. Like there's no do-overs after we die. Like our fate is sealed at our, at our physical death. Um, there is no such thing as purgatory. The Bible doesn't speak of that. Uh, that's a man-made doctrine. Um, we've got to decide on this side of life. And what's even more and maybe important for this crowd or could, could even be more frustrating is that our loved ones have to decide on this side of life. And I know it's frustrating for those of you who have children who, who may not uh, be in relationship with God and you just, you want God to, to like alter their mind to decide, but God doesn't do that. God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He gives us an opportunity to choose. And so our prayer life is to pray for those people to make the right decision. So the choice is on this side of life. So we go back to Hades, and, and Hades seems to have, as I said, some of the same characteristics of hell. Suffering, punishment, flames, agony, separation from God. And what's interesting is that one day we're told that this Hades will be balled up and cast into hell itself. All right, so I'm going to take you to another scary passage of Scripture. It's Revelation 20. It's what you would call the great white throne judgment scene, all right? And it's several verses, so stick with me. John's writing, and he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Push the pause button for a second. I think a, a lot of people read that scripture and inadvertently look at a scale. And they, they, they read that, that, that last phrase there where he says, uh, you'll be judged according to what you have done. And so this is where we get the concept of, well, I'm a good guy. I've done a lot of good things. I don't necessarily love Jesus or believe in Jesus, but I've done good deeds. You see, Revelation says I'm judged on what I've done. Um, that is a work-based salvation, and, and that is straight from the pits of hell itself. What he's referring to is what you have done in response to hearing the gospel. How did, how did, a, did, a, did a person respond? Not that you can work your way uh, to heaven. We'll continue. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. So Hades is kind of cracked open here. All the disembodied souls who have died, 
were brought before the great white throne. All right, and then here's what happens. They were judged according to what they had done. Verse 14, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. The lake of fire means hell. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, so real quickly, just in passing, uh, there's an argument for Hades, that when you die, you go to Hades, because you're not going to throw Hades into itself. You're going to throw Hades I- I- into hell, which is eternal punishment. And so this is, this is hard to say, and this is not popular teaching, and, and I get that, uh, but our dead ones, our loved ones, or the people that we knew who have died before us with an unregenerated heart, who, who aren't saved, who weren't born again, who don't know Jesus, this is where they are. They're in this, this, this place waiting for the great judgment. The great thing about the, great, the white throne judgment is we don't have to stand before the, the white throne because we're pronounced clean because we wear Jesus. Um, but it's a sad, sad day. So that's, that's Hades. Now, let, let's switch and talk about this other side that Jesus talks about, Abraham's side. Uh, some of your translations, if you have a, a different Bible than we use here, might say Abraham's bosom, and some of them might even use the word uh, paradise. Um, what we get from this is, is that this is a place of peace. This is a place where God's presence is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is a place where God's children wait, hear me, where we wait to be reunited with our resurrected bodies. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But it's also a place where all the saints of old are. Who did the rich man have a conversation with? It wasn't Lazarus. Who was it? Abraham. Father Abraham, who had many sons, right? And you're one of them or a daughter of them. Father Abraham. If, if, and so it's this place, this holding place uh, for the saints of old. Look at verse 22 of Luke 16. Poor man died and was carried to Abraham's side. So this place of rest and comfort and peace and joy, uh, all those things that we'll find even more magnified in, in heaven itself. I want to take you back a little bit to the cross. And do you remember when Jesus was, was hanging on the cross? Um, he, he was hung between two common thieves and they, they were there dying together, right? They were hanging on this cross, uh, dying together, um, but uh, they ended up having this conversation. And I want you to see this conversation. Uh, we'll pick up in Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, railed at Jesus, uh, saying, Are you not the Christ? save yourself and us. And so here's essentially what this guy's saying. I thought you were the son of God. I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were the chosen one. You, you have all this power, and here we are hanging on the cross. Why don't you save yourself and save, uh, save us while you're at it? But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we were receiving the due reward of our deeds. So let me, here's what he's saying. Like, we deserve to be hanging here. 
It's not like, you know, everybody in jail will tell you they don't belong in jail. They didn't do it. I, I didn't do that. I don't belong here. But this guy was owning up. Yeah, we are getting punished for we deserve what we're getting. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing. And he said to Jesus, and I love this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this guy seemed to get what the other apostles never got while Jesus was alive. They kept thinking of the Messiah. They kept thinking of Jesus being a political um, hero, starting a, a new nation here on earth. And in the Bible, you hear phrases like, they tried to seize him and make him king. Um, and Jesus kept trying to tell him, my kingdom is not here on earth. This criminal on the cross gets it. And then look what Jesus said to him in verse 43. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not heaven, paradise. It's the same concept of this realm of the dead that, we, that we're talking about. The same concept of, of Abraham's bosom. This waiting place for the saints of God. This is the realm of where our loved ones who knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's where they are uh, right now. Now, I'll give you a couple of reasons for why I believe that. Number one, do you remember what Jesus said when he was going to heaven? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what I like to think about is, you know, if you look around creation, um, and Matt and Will are uh, doing a series on Genesis 1 for our, our fall study on, on the, this creation, uh, just, just look around and see the beauty, and, and God spoke that into existence in six days. Jesus has been up there for like 2,000 years preparing this place for us, and how magnificent is this place uh, going uh, to be? But the other thing that I want you to understand is this, and I'm afraid the evangelical church has kind of lost their grip on this teaching. We don't go into heaven until our bodies are resurrected. Our physical bodies are resurrected. To deny that would, to, would be to deny the resurrection of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, uh, the, specifically 1 Corinthians 15, that talks about the importance uh, of our bodies being resurrected. Okay, and so the picture you have is we are in this place of rest in Abraham's bosom. The, during the second coming when Jesus rips the sky open, which we'll talk about in a minute, our bodies will rise and be reunited with our disembodied spirits and our souls that were born in iniquity and bent, the essence of who we are, all that is gone and we're this new creature and God. But all of this happens, the resurrection of the dead and the, and the reunification of our souls and spirits to our bodies after the second coming, after Jesus comes back. In Matthew chapter 25, you can read of this, and there's this great separation. It's the famous goats and sheep passage where they're being separated uh, when Jesus comes back. But I want to refer you to Philippians 3, 20 and 21 real quick. It says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't miss this because this is future tense. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be glorious like his body. So whether you're buried, whether you're cremated, you know, there's a big debate about that. It doesn't matter. God created man out of dust. What, what that is, is what's left of your body uh, is going to be resurrected and it's going to be made glorious and then we will go into heaven. And he says, by the power that enables him uh, to subject all things to himself. And so we go to this paradise, to this realm of the dead, awaiting the second coming. And here's what I love about this. Um, I think Lazarus had, had consciousness too. He knew what was going on. Uh, so I, don't, I, I think the doctrine of soul sleep is not true. You're not just going to sleep. And, and what I love about that is uh, my grandparents, I believe, are there right now. And they, uh, they were instrumental in, in teaching me about Jesus. And so they're there waiting for me. Um, I'm 51, and so my time is getting shorter every year. You know, eventually I'll join them, and then my children, hopefully, and then my grandchildren, and then my great-grandchildren, and my great-great-great-great, and just keep going on until the day Jesus rips open the sky, there's a trumpets everywhere, and then we will be reunited uh, with those who are left here on earth, um, I want to take you to one more passage, and we'll kind of wind this thing down, that speaks of, of what I just said. We read this a couple of months ago, so you, it might be familiar to you. It's 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, and Paul's saying those who are dead, <clears throat> that you may not grieve as others uh, do who have no hope, right? And so I've said this before. There's a stark contrast when you go to a funeral between a, a unbeliever and a believer. We don't mourn the same way because we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's talking about the physical resurrection here. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, lot, with a cry of command, the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. And here's the part we know. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Man, I have to come back to this, ver that, the end of that verse a lot of times in my life. I will always be with the Lord. Because sometimes life is hard and, and I just remember, I'll always be in the presence of the Lord. That's why he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I, I, I think when we talk about this, this should cause us to realize that there is so much more that lies beyond what we can see here on earth. 
we spend our entire lives concentrated, uh, uh, concentrating on our life here on earth. How can I make more? How can I do more? How can I be happier? You know, uh, how can I have my best life now? It's all about me. What can I do? What can I do? And, it, and it's all about this side of life as if we don't even believe there's something on the other side. But the good news is there is something on the other side and it's glorious. It's in the presence of God himself. <clears throat> uh, in a little town in Spain where uh, Christopher Columbus was from, and this is incidentally the town that he died in 1506, uh, there stands a monument commemorating uh, this great discoverer, uh, Christopher Columbus. And, and perhaps the most interesting feature on this uh, statue is kind of halfway down, there's a lion, and it's destroying one of the Latin words that had been part of Spain's motto for centuries. Uh, before Columbus made his voyages, uh, you know, everyone thought the world might have been flat and that, you know, we, they had reached the outer limits. And thus the motto of Spain uh, before Columbus set sail was uh, in Latin, ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. We have gone as far as we can uh, uh, or we're going to fall off the, this flat earth. But after Columbus, things changed. And the word being torn away on the statue is the word nay, which means no. So now it doesn't read nay plus ultra, which means no more beyond, but it reads plus ultra, which means more beyond. And what I want to leave you with this morning, and I really hope it's heavy on your hearts, is that there is more beyond this life. You, we have no idea the good things that God has in store for us. But we have to make the decision on this side of life. And so all of us have this choice to make, whether we're going to surrender to Christ or whether we're just not going to surrender to Christ. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.